Praise the Lord. Good morning, Grace Bible. Are we good? All right, the two of you are good. I am so excited. Well, what a joy it is to be here with this wonderful congregation. I'm excited to give like lesson, message number five to those who are in the youth conference. You're probably tired of hearing from me. You're like, this is a nightmare. I got to hear from them again. Uh, well, what a joy it is and what a privilege it is to open God's word. And I get to do it in two different messages for this service. And then for the next, I've broken one message that was quite lengthy into two so that I can emphasize what needs to be emphasized but what a joy. You know, it's a joy to be here. You know why? Because God's at work here. It's fun to be where God's at, isn't it? it it's just fun to, to be part of, of, of Bard and, and, uh, and my brothers here. All of these guys who are just, just on fire for Christ, who love people. I, I think that's what makes this church awesome. Not only that, but you have Roy's down the road. I mean, that all makes it very cool. I went to Roy's, by the way. Hopefully I still don't smell like it. But uh, it's just a wonderful treat to be in a church that loves God and loves people. And, uh, and I just am so thrilled to see God at work here. Since I was here last, you guys are doing a ton more. And, uh, and so for that, we're so, so thankful to be invited to this youth conference and, and to get this privileged opportunity. It's fun to reconcile, with, I mean, not reconcile, to re-engage uh, with my dear friends who I've not been around in a while. And, uh, and so I'm thankful for the privilege we have this morning to open God's word. Maybe, and let me just give you a, a little update on what's going on in Uganda. Those of you that don't know me, I'm a missionary to Uganda uh, my name is Shannon Hurley. Some of you thought maybe a woman was preaching this morning, <clears throat> but now, now you know it's me, I'm just with a girl's name. But, uh, uh, but I, um, I live in Uganda. I've been there for 19 years, and uh, I had the privilege of moving to a small little community with a goal to reach that community and strengthen churches throughout the country. And we started with 100 acres of bush. With no electricity, no running water, and God today has just absolutely impacted a community of people, and, uh, and we're training Baptist churches throughout the country. I have the privilege even today of being with my brother Robert. Robert, stand up. Let these guys clap for you. Come on. This is my brother Robert, just a God-fearing man who leads, is the CEO of 1,500 Baptist churches in Uganda, and what a privilege it is to be partnered with the Baptist Union. Baptist Union is an organization that basically has no money but is in charge of 1,500 churches, and so it's one of the many things we get is to come alongside this union and, uh, and try and try and empower these churches. And I've been doing that for the last 16 years through conferences and leadership trainings and strategic planning meeting visitations. I'll get these guys in my car and I'll, I'll go all throughout Uganda. You feel like you're on a Paul-like journey and, uh, and just visiting churches. It is the greatest privilege and greatest responsibility 
Uh, and, and it's such an honor to be a part of what God is doing. If you were to come to Uganda, and everyone godly comes, by the way. Come on. Missions trip next year. Come on, anyone in. Oh, my goodness. We got, we got one. Come on. Let's try that again. And let me just preface that again. Anyone godly goes to Uganda. No, that's not going to work. I can tell you guys. No, but we would love to have you guys come on a mission trip. I want this church to come and experience what's going on there. Be blessed there. Bless our people. I came here. Now you got to go there. Is that a deal? So um, I would also ask, and I would say this with all sincerity, we need help. I can't do this alone. We need help. And I would just ask, I would plead, I would beg that if some of you are able to come and help us just on a monthly basis, you know, whatever that would be, I would ask, can you please help? This thing is beyond me. It's beyond my ability to talk with just friends. I need God's people to rise up. We are financially over our head in massive ways. And uh, we just keep moving, trusting God's going to provide. But this year, we just added our, started our degree program. We have 60 students. We take through a training for a year, and then I cut them down to 30 and invite them into a degree program. It's a three-year degree program. We started the degree program in February. That's this month, right? Uh, and, uh, and we probably added about 150000 because we paid them to be there. We're taking them out of their villages and their families into our ministry where we have provided housing and we're going to train them up to be the most elite SEAL team gospel proclaiming preachers in Uganda. Then we're going to send them back out and tell them to go plant churches all throughout East Africa and make God's name great. Is that a good plan? But we need help with that plan. So we brought about $150,000 investment in. We'll do that this year. Next year, we're bringing year two. It's a three-year program. We'll bring another 30 with their families. And then next year three, another 30. So we'll have 90 for our degree program, 60 for our certificate program. And, uh, and so it's crazy. So we want your help. We would ask that you would allow the Lord to consider moving in your heart to that end. I have a prayer card I'd love for you to pray. Some of you, I came into your house, you don't even know who I am, and you have a prayer card on your refrigerator. Every time you get milk, think of us and pray for us. We just want God to continue to move in radical ways there. My prayer is that this morning I would be able to encourage you in the Lord, that you would leave this morning with this greater hunger, this greater passion to live with the mindset of kingdom living. And I want to pray and ask the Lord to help us before we jump into the text. Can we pray together? Father, what a privilege it is to open God's word before this incredible congregation. To stand right now behind this pulpit as your herald, reading your precious words while you watch upon me to represent you in this congregation. And Lord, we know that your word comes with authority because it is coming from the highly exalted King of kings and Lord of lords. And with that, it is not something we hear and walk away and ignore. 
Rather, it is something we hear, we swallow, and we go out and do. And so, Lord, as we come before your word, help us come as your servants, ready to, with great dedication and devotion, serve you. Dedicate ourselves to you. And so, Lord, may your word be communicated with clarity and poignancy, and may your spirit motivate and drive us to live out the commands in which you've given us, those commands which are for our good and for our joy and for the worship and honor of you. So help us to that end, we pray. Through your son, we ask these things. Amen. Do me a favor, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I want to read the authoritative words of our king. Verses 19 through 24. Read along with me, if you will. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of your body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how, I'm sorry, if if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I want to start off this morning by reading a hymn written by Isaac Watts, the grandfather of hymnology. And he wrote this hymn in 1721, and I read this to show you the mentality. I just sang this hymn, all right? I want to show you the difference of mentality of that day from our own day. Listen to the words. Am I a soldier of the cross? A follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I will bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. Thy saints in all this glorious war shall conquer though they die. They see the triumph from afar by faith's discerning eye. 
when that illustrious day shall rise and all thy armies shine in robes of victory through the skies, the glory shall be thine. This hymn conveys the heart of the believers of old who understood the biblical picture that there is a king on the throne over the heavens and we are merely servants of his majesty. We are in his kingdom and are responsible to his majesty. And the servants of old were willing to die for that service. They had this insatiable, unquenchable passion for pleasing their master and an undying commitment to his service. They understood that they were in battle, that they were at war, and that the war was bigger than themselves. They understood that living within God's kingdom involved committing their lives for eternal purposes not for earthly pleasures. And therefore they lived with an eye to the eternal, to live for things that mattered. And therefore they took all of their God-entrusted resources with the sole purpose of exalting the master, glorifying him, and advancing his kingdom throughout the world. When you hear such a hymn, when you see such a mentality, it's easy in our day to ask the question, well, wait, wait a second, were they just unbalanced? Are we really to live with such a mentality? Is the mentality of 300 years ago the way I should be living in our 21st century? Because if we're honest with ourselves, the church in America, and I'm talking about the church, I'm not talking about the world, the church, we do not live for Christ. We live for work. We live for school. We live for sports, the Kansas City Chiefs. We live to play. I've always said many times that what money is to Africans, pleasure is to Americans. In Africa, we live to survive. But what should be the mentality? What should be the focus of believers, of servants of King Jesus? How should we live? Well, the passage before us gives us great, incredible insight into that question. He's going to provide for us two commands. How many commands? Two. And it's going to be followed by three illustrations. Now, just so you know, I will not provide all, all three illustrations. You have to come back next service to get one or two, depending on how long I talk. Two commands, 
three illustrations. Let us look together at the first command. Again, read with me in verse 19. And again, remember this is a command. This is Jesus Christ, our Messiah, the ruling king over this universe, commanding this of his disciples. The whole purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is to tell us how we are to live as his disciples. Verse 19, this is his command. Do not, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Here is the first command. We should not seek to store up treasures on this earth. Now, if you're looking at this passage, you're saying, do not store up treasures on earth. What are we talking about? And if you're reading the flow of the book, you can understand what he means by these treasures. But if you get a first glance, you might wrongly understand it. And I think to understand the context drives the meaning in a way that you might not even be thinking. And I want us to take a dive back. We know that according to this context, chapters 1 to 4 is a clear message. I, Jesus Christ, I am your promised Messiah. I am that one who in Genesis 3.15 was talked about that the seed of the woman would come and crush Satan's head. I'm that one. I am the one that was promised that would sit on David's throne and rule over the nations. I'm that one. That's chapters 1 through 4. When we get to chapter 5, we get to what is called the most glorious sermon ever preached. The Sermon on the Mount. And verse, the first part of that sermon focuses primarily and exclusively on who is in the kingdom and who is not. And he tells them that those who are in the kingdom are those who are poor in spirit, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. In the second part of the sermon, he then tells us how we are not to live. He tells us what he does not want us to do. And look with me in chapter 6, verse 1, as he tells us this. And this is Jesus in light of his day, knowing exactly what's going on amongst him. And listen, he hates the religion of his day. And why? Look what it says, chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness. You guys can fill in the blank if you like. Go ahead. Beware of practicing your before who? Other people. In order to be what? To be seen by them. For then you will have what? No reward from your father who's what? So as you come into this next section, you're going to see what, what, what he's talking about, reward. 
Don't practice your righteousness before each other. Don't do it. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the false teachers. Stop that. Listen, service is awesome when it's motivated properly. Religion's been going on since Cain and Abel, hasn't it? I mean, Cain and Abel both brought a sacrifice to God and that they both would have looked good on the outside, but one was done with the right heart and the other was not. One led to murder and the other one led to worship. And in this section, it's very clear. He gives three examples of this, of of not practicing your righteousness before man. In verse 2, he says, listen, when you give, don't do it by sounding trumpets like the hypocrites do. But rather, do it in secret. He says, because these hypocrites, they receive their reward. What's their reward? Well, look, honor and and glory and, and and maybe money and, and, and things like that. They get their reward. But if you want your reward, do it in secret. Don't do it by parading yourself. Do it so that nobody knows and it's done exactly for God. He gives a second example in verse 5. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and and pray in the synagogue and and, and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. But truly I say to you, they have their reward. They've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees will what? Will reward you. You see... When you serve, don't do it before people. Do it before God. Here, they receive their reward. Here, they will receive their reward. Here, they receive their reward from man. Here, they will receive their reward from God. The same, a third example is given is when they fast you got to love fasting. (laughs) These guys right here, look. Verse 16. For when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. you got to love that. You could just imagine, I'm fasting. You're right. Everybody knows. You're like, that guy's funny, you know. For they disfigure their faces that they're fasting and they may be seen up for others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head with oil, wash your face, that your fasting may be done by, not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in, and look what he says, and your Father who what? Sees you in secret will what? Reward you. Then what does he say, verse 19? Do not store up treasures. So the context is clear. According to this preceding contrast, these treasures on earth must be referring back to the earthly rewards given to the, to the hypocrites. And the result of their service is they performed 
their activities in the eyes of man, for man. And based on the whole context, these earthly possessions consisted not only of honor that comes from being seen by men, but also must include physical possessions. How do we know that? Because when you look, it can, the rust can destroy it, right? Thieves can break in and steal it. And when we continue on the, 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 the context, what the, what's the next section? section? Anybody know? It's worthy, worry. And what does he say? Don't worry about the Gentiles eagerly seek these things, but you rather seek first what? His kingdom and his, you see the whole flow. You know the cure for worry is stop living for now and live for future. Like you didn't have to go to a psychologist. It was easy. Thank you for that laugh. Jesus' command is clear here. He's commanding every one of us. And I think this is important in a church that serves so well because easily, even our service can be hypocritical. Even our service can be wrongly motivated. Jesus' command is, he is exhorting them, don't be like the hypocrite. Don't do it for the man. Don't do it for their eyes. Don't do it so others can see. Don't let that be the motivation. No. Stop stockpiling, literally storing up a stockpiling. I think of the Grinch that stole Christmas, right? You're stockpiling all your, your earthly fame and your earthly rewards. Stop it. Don't be like them. Don't live for such treasures. Don't live for the temporary. Don't, but live for what's lasting. Jesus makes it clear by his word choice that he does not want us to live our lives for things that don't last. Earthly rewards. Things that can be eaten. This word rust is literally eaten away. The idea of rats coming in. And if you live in an African context, you know exactly what that talks about. You have these mud huts and rats like coming in. Literally, they'll start eating on your fingers. Shannon, this isn't motivation to come to Uganda. We, we don't have those in our... Okay, we do have a few every once in a while chew through the windows, but that's another... You'll be safe. I'll protect you all night, all right? But literally, they, they would eat away things that can be eaten by rats and mice and insects. Don't live for those treasures. People who break in or literally dig through you see, in that day, they would hide their treasures in the field. And when war came, people would come and they would dig up the treasures. Don't live for things that you're storing that can be taken away. Earthly possessions don't last. They don't last. They don't last. Don't live for them. Don't let your life be used for pursuing such matters. Our king is commanding us who are his servants to live differently for a different kingdom with a different motivation for a different reward. 
Amen? This brings us to a second command, a second command. The second command is seen for us in verse 20. To store treasures in heaven. To store treasures in in heaven. This is a command to you by your king. And he's going to give us the reason, so hold on to this. It's awesome. But I wanted you to see this. In verse 20, it says this. But lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We'll get there in a moment. For what are we to live for? Not the earthly, but the what? The heavenly. We're not to stockpile here. We're to stockpile in heaven. According to the context, again, we must understand that what this is driving at is rather than living to be the audience of people, for the audience of people, what are you going to do? You are going to live, listen to me, for the audience of God alone. You're going to do your service to God alone. That's what he's talking about here. You're going to give, but to give to God with nobody knowing. You're going to give in secret. So, because you're living not for the present, you're living for the future reward. And you want God to reward you, not man. Oh, dear friends, this is awesome. You're going to do your things in secret before God. You're going to live before God alone. By secretly giving to God, by secretly praying. Listen, the examples are are awesome. When you're praying to God alone, you're storing treasures where? Come on, you're storing treasures where? When you are giving to God alone, you're storing treasures where? When you are fasting, you're giving, storing treasures where? Heaven. You see, this isn't all about physical gifts. This is also about service. This is also about praying for your missionaries in Africa and nobody's seeing, especially praying for that crazy preacher there in Africa, that he and his family would love Christ with all of their heart, soul, and mind. And that God would have a movement in East Africa, in this fertile land. Dear friends, we're not just talking about what you do. We're also talking about the motivation for why you do it. We're talking about who to whom you are performing. And remember, this is a command. Jesus is commanding his followers to live for God's glory. He is demanding them to live, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called them, who he called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's the purpose for which he made you. He 
He's calling them to not seek first this kingdom, but seek first his righteousness and the future kingdom. Notice the contrast. How ridiculous it is to live for the present world where things can be eaten away versus the secure world where things will last forever. You know, when I look at this, I, I, I get hope for Africa. My people in Africa, they don't have the money that you guys have, not even close. Frankly speaking, the money you waste is far more, far more. The money you eat out on is more money than they make, maybe even in a year. Some of you guys go to some nice eat outs. But can they live for heaven? Can they store? They might have nicer homes in heaven than you. Because they used the little they had and the service that they had motivated to God. Could you ever imagine? Would you ever think or consider that you could be extremely rich in your earthly home here while being very poor in your eternal home? Or maybe they're really poor here in your earthly home, but you have a super abundant of wealth in your heavenly one. It all is depending on the motivation for why you do what you do. I want you to hear this very loudly and clearly, friends. To live for heaven is not everyone becoming missionaries. Not everyone becoming pastors. Listen, we don't need all of you on, in, a, in Uganda. Just a couple of you, you know, come on, you know. We need you here supporting the work in Uganda. But listen, to live for heaven is to use whatever resource you have to love God, serve God for the advancement of kingdom purposes. Now let me define resource. What I'm talking about when I say resource, I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your energy. I'm talking about your money, your mind, your pen, your skills. It's using those things for the purpose of serving and loving people. It's doing your work unto God. With the motivation of loving him and glorifying him. Let me be more specific. It's teachers using their knowledge of their subject to love that child and help him become a better student. Soccer coaches using their skills and their knowledge to make and serve kids to become better soccer players. But you see, the motivation is to love them. The motivation is for God. It's not changing your career. It's taking your career and using it for kingdom. Do you realize that work is a service to humanity? One of the biggest heartbreaking things is that in Uganda, so often people will be given resources, but people don't work it. 
They're lazy. They'd rather use their time to just chill. And then they put together bad roads. And when they put together bad roads, we then drive on those bad roads and they don't last. Because the resources weren't used. People didn't use their, 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 their skills with efficiency and effectiveness. I want to be clear here. It's whatever skill you have, rather than doing it for a paycheck, you're doing it for king. Rather than using it just for yourself and, and, and to, to show your awesomeness, it's to do it for God and show his greatness. It's dentists, like my dear friend, serving every patient with great care and great concern and great love because he wants to love God by loving that patient. It's that person who works at McDonald's. And McDonald's is now cool, I'm told. Making that hamburger with excellence, with the motivation of God. You see, everything we do can be used for God if we're motivated and oriented to him. And when you do that, you are storing treasures where? In heaven. We need teachers who are going to love kids it's, and, and, and really devote themselves to that end. It's a child saying, Mom, can I wash dishes tonight? Because they want to love God by loving and serving their mom. Did you hear that, kids? Come on now. By someone saying, you know what, I want to disciple someone. And they, they begin to say, I'm going to devote myself to discipling one person a year. By somebody giving resources to help a mission in Africa that really, really needs it. It's whatever we do, doing it with the motivation of service to God. And that can be in anywhere. If you're an engineer, serve God by being the greatest engineer to serve your clients. But it's all motivated by God, and I'm going to do this all today, Lord, unto you. And there is then what? Reward. Now, I'm going to provide for you the first illustration, and then I'm going to leave the next two. But the reason I want to provide this first illustration is because you've got to get this. You've got to see this. You see, these are commands, and they're commands for a reason. I want to change your life right here in this next verse. Because I believe there's a reason why God is commanding you not to live for the present, live for the future. There's a reason. Look with me right here. Here's the reason. The first illustration is a treasure. Look what he says. Verse 21, 621. He says, for, notice that for there. It's explaining, it's a gar in, in Greek, and he's explaining why. Why do I command you this? Why do I command you to live for heaven, live for serving me? Why? He tells you. Why? Because for where your what? Come on, come with me. For where your what? Treasure is there what? There your heart will be also. There's a clear motivation 
The motivation is God wants your heart. He wants your heart. I want you to live every day for me, listen, so that I will have your heart every day. You see, there's a problem. When we have separated secular from sacred, work from ministry, we've done ourselves a disservice. Because now you think, well, I go to work and I hope one day I can serve the Lord. Everybody? That's awesome. No. Every day your work can be unto the Lord if your motivation is that. And when you go every day and say, God, I want to serve you today. I want to help you today. Yes, this guy's taking advantage of you, but I want to love him because I'm going to love him by loving you. I'm going to love you by loving him. And when you do that, and that's your approach to every day, all of a sudden you can find joy and service to God. All of a sudden your business becomes eternal. And this is God's heart. And listen to this. And then all of a sudden, listen, your heart becomes God's. He gives this illustration about a treasure. He explains here why your treasure must be heavenly focused rather than earthly. It's so that, what, because there's a principle. If my treasure is money, when I go and I reach and I live for that money, whatever I grab, will grab my heart. Whatever I squeeze, whether that's money or girls or sports, whatever I'm grabbing will what? Will what? Grab my, my heart. Whatever you're living for, whatever you're going after every day, it's going to grab your heart. Do you understand? And it's for this reason, don't grab the earthly. Don't live for people, but live for me. Because when you live for me, then I will be your heart. I will be your passion. I'll be the longing of your soul. That's what I want. I want you to love me. I want you to live for me. You were created for me. Now I want you to live for me. That's the heart of this text. Jesus knows that what you grab will grab you. And therefore you must grab me that I might consume you, that I might be in your heart. Why do people struggle with different addictions, it's because they keep grabbing those things. 
Listen, if you... What, if you're like given over to sports and everything's sports, and, and listen, I love sports too, and you can go sit down on the toilet where you do most of your phone work. Uh, at least I do that, but don't, don't, don't tell anyone. But uh, when you do that, then all of a sudden, what do you go on? Well, if it's sports, then you come out of the bathroom and you say, hey, man, those San Francisco 49ers, you know, they're awesome. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? I, I don't even follow baseball. I thought it'd be fun, though, to say that. <laughs> All right, let's, let's go where we really should go. Those Dodgers, can you believe the amount of spending that they've had? You, you see, what we invest our minds in fills our what? Our heart. Christ knows that, and so that's why he's saying, listen, do not store up treasures here. Store treasures here. Have you ever thought of the Ten Commandments? Ten Commandments are clear. The first and greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your with all your with all your and with all your does God not tell us what he wants from us right there I think the shame of all of us as believers so much of our life is lived without God as the focus. And because so much of what we do is not motivated for God. It's motivated for people. Listen. The story of Joseph's interesting. Why did he not want to sin with Bathsheba? You know why? You know what came out of his mouth? God. I can't sin against God who did this. What's he meditating on? God. Dear friends, there is so much to grab your attention, so much to grab your focus. But God wants your heart. Can you take and can you change the motivations for why you do everything. Even as you drive home, drive home for God. Become God-centric. God-consumed. Turn, turn off the radio and, and let God be what drives you. Live for heaven, not for this world. You know what we need? We need moms who were going to love those runny-nosed kids for God. Oh, don't get overwhelmed. You get to serve the Lord. And you see, you can serve the children or you can serve God by serving the children. One has eternal reward. One does not. Oh, you can serve your husband as unto the... Hmm. Or you can do it under him and then you're like... Ah. 
He doesn't even pick up his socks. Do all men not pick up their socks? I mean, I, I'm really bad at that. I don't know why. So you can pick up those socks because you're picking them up for what? The Lord, and it changes your motivation and your joy, and most of all, your heart for God. You see, Shannon, how am I to do this as a way of life? How many are wondering that question? If you're not, then you're like dead in the pew. I don't know what's going on. Well, that's what we're going to answer next as we look at these other illustrations. Let me pray, and we'll look forward to seeing you in the next hour. Father, I know my heart in coming here this morning was that my brothers and sisters would be able to come here and change their total motivation for why they go to work. That they might take what has been appeared to be a secular thing and that they might make it sacred by doing it as unto you. Father, will you make teachers and moms and dads and businessmen, will you motivate not just their money, will you motivate their work to be righteously motivated as a service to you as their boss? you as their master, that they might find the joy of you being in the central part of their hearts. Lord, we look at the offering of Cain. We say, well, we don't want to do that. But in reality, so often our service throughout the week is a Cain-like offering. It's an offering of service where our heart is not for you or centered upon you. And that's not how you want us to live because you want our heart. And so, Lord, I ask that you would help us repent of that and orient our lives as you is the focus. That we might store treasures in heaven. Father, thank you for this hour, and we ask that you in the second hour would powerfully help us understand the how-to and the dedication we might have to this task. Through your Son we pray, amen.